Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Or we don't know. Seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial. Opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's new report, old report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The last two teams remain in the National Football League for Super Bowl 58. Apparently, the Los Angeles Lakers are better than their star two players on the court. And maybe some excitement for Orioles fans, as they might have an ownership group that actually cares about baseball and success. Who knew how much fun that'll be in Baltimore once opening day comes around sooner rather than later as we kick off another Major League Baseball season. But we start in the National Football League, where nobody quite circles the wagons. An exciting championship weekend that did not disappoint, unless you were, of course, a fan of one of the two losing teams. Unfortunately, we have one of those on the program, in one Al from White Plains. We will turn the microphone over to him. He will be able to spill his soul on a disappointing end to the Baltimore Ravens season and an unfortunate time to be a fan watching what happened hosting the Kansas City Chiefs. Al, we've waited a week to get your opinions, your emotions, your rants. It's now time. You have the floor. You have more than a two-minute opportunity on Mad Dog Sports Radio. Let us hear what happened to the Baltimore Ravens. We will start there as we discuss how we arrived at Super Bowl 58. John, it's great to be with you and all our fans and friends. Uh, and I, I think it's all, it's been pretty much explained, uh, recited, dissected six different ways to Tuesday in the last three days, four days. Um, incredibly disappointing. Number one because I think this was probably all around maybe the best team the Ravens have ever had as the Ravens. Um, in the 2000 team, the defense was legendary. This defense was terrific. It wasn't a legendary defense, but it's a terrific defense. The team with Joe Flacco, they beat the Niners, had a better offense than the 2000 team. I think this offense is better. So this is probably the best combination of both sides of the ball together that the Ravens have had despite the two prior Super Bowl winners. And this was a, a dominant team for a good chunk of the year, as you know. We talked about it. And in tonight, what they did to good teams, annihilating Seattle when they were on a run, destroying Detroit, uh, you know, taking the Dolphins apart, going into my going into San Francisco, excuse me, on uh, the, the hugely built-up Christmas night game. Mike Florida, they're going to kick the shit out of them. That's right. Except it was the Ravens who kicked the shit out of the Niners, not the other way around. 
um, a quiet first half, a feeling out first half, maybe a little tight first half against you know the upstart Texans, and then bang, defense shuts him down. Lamar has a great second half. They run the ball up and down the field, uh, throw the ball well and play action, and they're loaded for there. They're home, first home conference championship game in the city of Baltimore since 1970. The Colts left for Indianapolis. The Raiders, which was uh, a win and a prelude to the Colts victory over the Cowboys. The city on fire. Healthy as they've been all year. Mark Andrews coming back. Chiefs coming off of their big win. Three and a half, four, four and a half point underdog. Bills ran the ball down their throat pretty much the whole game until the fourth quarter. Couldn't get the job done. Ravens look like the team. It looks like it's finally their year. Playing great for an extended period of time. The combination of of the fabulous defense with the most sacks, the most turnovers, uh, fewest points per game, and uh, an offense leads the league in rushing and the probable MVP. And the new offensive coordinator who created this attack around Lamar that still ran the ball, still had some designed runs, but also had him in the pocket a lot more, creating in the pocket, being more patient, not making mistakes. And KC um, comes out, punches him right in the mouth, and takes the top ranked defense. Patrick Mahomes was surgical, and somehow, someway, huge fourth down catch on the first try. We discuss time and time again that my approach to football, which is the one sport I admit that I never played in terms of X's and O's, but basketball and baseball in high school, but if I'm a coach and they got one guy who they constantly go to is constantly open with a Travis Kelsey first field where there's nobody around him, regardless, and he's got to be chucked at the line of scrimmage, he's got to be bumped, he's got to be cut, he's got to be, he's got to be single and double covered all over the field, making a throw to somebody else. I don't care if he's throwing their sheep rice 20 times. I don't care if he's throwing the guys out of the bathroom. I don't care if he's throwing the backup tight end. I don't care if he's throwing the scaling. It's got to be somebody else. God, make them catch it. Make them make catches. You can't let Kelsey be. My final one, as we discussed, was keep Kelsey out of the end zone. Don't turn it over. Kelsey scored one touchdown. You can look at that. As you know, they had three turnovers. One they actually got the fourth down stop. They kept it close in the first half, and then they had the two horrendous turnovers in the second half. Flowers doesn't fumble going in at 17-14 with a quarter to go. As bad as they played, got a new game. Lamar doesn't throw the mindless interception at 17-7. You'll at least get a field goal with seven minutes to go. You got a chance. Uh, Lamar was not sharp. He missed guys continually on deep throws. The offensive game plan was mind-numbing. It's unfathomable. How the team that leads the league in rushing, you know, Gus Edwards carries the ball three times. They threw the ball on, on, I believe, over 20 consecutive plays at one point in time. Uh, 
Justice Hill, two or three, I think they combined for six carries. Um, they played like the first 14-7 deficit after they came back to tie at 7-7 was like they were behind 27-7 instead of 14-7 and 17-7. I don't understand what happened with the, with the game plan. I don't, I, I have no explanation for the lack of attempting to run the ball. Did they feel if, they, if they're second and eight, they're bad, they're up against it, boom, next thing you know, you're punting, it's going to be 25, I don't know. Where were the designed runs from? And also, this was the, this was Lamar being patient in the pocket, but to the point of being too patient. At some point in time, if you need to be the old Lamar, you got to tuck it under and go. You still got to use the legs when all else fails. If you can't find anybody, you can't find anybody, and you can't find anybody, and they're 8, 10, 12 yards down the field, take the 5, 7 yards and go. And if you make a guy miss, you know, it's all the more. Too much time wasted in the pocket. And he had guys open that he missed with throws and guys that he did not see. If you look at the ill-fated interception of the end zone, wide open over the middle, underneath, not five yards downfield, but probably 10, 12 yards downfield. Remember, seriously, McCartney. I believe it's Aguilar. He's got wide open. He's got Justice Hill out in the flat. The other thing that really hurt Kansas City against Buffalo was throwing in the backs. Cook, um, the uh, their extra running back out of the backfield. They a couple times they threw to Edwards. They threw to Hill. They had first down gains. They never went back to it. He hardly ever looked for a secondary guy. He hardly ever looked underneath, which is what they did against the Texans. And as a result, their offense sputtered all day, they struggled all day, and the defense did a great job in the second half, five consecutive punts, two massive turnovers that cost them points. Even had they scored on those drives, they were probably outplayed, but that just shows to me how good a team they are, that had they gotten what they were supposed to get on those drives, which simply would have been flowers not fumbling, touchdown, and don't throw a mindless interception, even if you don't score can of corn field goal with a great Justin Tucker, you are 17-17 in the fourth quarter, and you've been awful, which shows in a, in a kind of strange way just how good a team they are, but they weren't good enough. They lost their composure. Um, I blame that on the coaches. I hate to say it. I love John Harbaugh. But they had a lot of veteran players. Matt Noy, I know he got suckered into it. I didn't like the call. I thought it should have been you know, one on yay headbutted, but I thought Kelsey should have got basically nailed for taunting, and it should have been offsetting. It wasn't. That offset a second and 10. Then came the roughing the passer with a shot to the chops, went to the field goal 17-7. Uh, I thought it could have been an interference in the end zone, even though it was a mindless, mindless throw. Be that as it may, the other thing that I was not happy about was Friday afternoon when I saw that Sean Smith had gotten the game. How do you give this game to a first-time championship referee? And, of course, his numbers were the lowest home-winning percentage of any referee in the league, 406. Don't get me wrong. I don't say conspiracy. I don't say fix. None of that. The Ravens did 
what they did this year when they lost games. They didn't take care of the football, and they lost their composure. And penalties and turnovers. It killed them against the Colts. It killed them against the Browns. It was drop passes against the Steelers. And then obviously the last game didn't matter. And as a result of that, all of that, the best chance they've had to win a Super Bowl in a very long time, and maybe a long time in the future, because they're losing a lot of players to free agency. That's because they have a lot of free agents. They'll lose some. They'll probably franchise uh, just Metabuke. I never pronounced it properly. Um, Patrick Queen's going to be a free agent. They didn't extend him in the preseason. He's probably gone. Gino Stone, the team interceptions, he's probably gone. They'll restructure some contracts. They'll keep some guys. But it was uh, a, a loss that, as a fan, not a city of Baltimore, but on the Ravens, original Browns fan followed them to Baltimore, really was a gut punch. Because everything was in their favor. And I will simply close by saying this, that Lamar will get there eventually but he's got to be better. Kudos to the Chiefs. They were the better team. More composure. Mahomes was brilliant in the first half. And really not much in the second half until the last throw, which was, of course, you know, sealed the deal. And, of course, gives you that last chance of hope where you spent your last time out inside the two-minute warning. It's third and long. You're like, all right, if I get this third down stop, I'm going to get the ball back down to touchdown with plenty of time. And they send the ranch. You find Scanlon deep. This one, of course, he catches. Makes the great throw. And your season's over. It's over in crushing fashion. And I said this to Chris the other day, our fearless leader, the great man, Doug Russo. I actually am wondering if it almost looked like being at home hurt them. It almost seemed like they got caught up in the hype and the celebration and the focus just wasn't there. The little things they did not do. You know, the flowers fumble, uh, the terrible penalties. And it, those kind of things usually don't happen you know, when you're concentrating solely on the matter at hand, which is the game. And I think being at home was a distraction for them. I really do. All the great players back. First game since 1970. You know, championship game in Baltimore. Uh, crowd going crazy. On a great run. And I, I obviously always want to be at home. But I think it actually may have hurt them more than it helped them. They seemed tight. Lamar seemed a little tight despite the great play on the first drive. And... Um, Back to the drawing board without their defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, who rightfully said, got the Seattle job. He's going to be a great coach. They promoted uh, the linebacker coach, a young Mr. Orr, who becomes, I believe, the youngest assistant in the NFL now, I believe, at 31, which is, I believe, terrific hire. Uh, but they lost their secondary coach, who's going to take over the coordinator's job in Tennessee. So there's going to be a lot to do in the offseason. But they have the quarterback. And unlike in Dallas, 
where there is upheaval and disappointment, juxtapose these. Dak Prescott is who did spit the bit and was awful, as was the whole team. But he's being ridiculed by teammates, family members, uh, whether it's C.D. Lamb or their alleged superstar uh, defender. The difference in Baltimore, at least, is all you hear is Lamar's our guy. Lamar's our guy. He'll be back. We're behind him. He's our leader. Nobody cares more. You didn't hear one negative word out of the coaching staff, out of the teammates, out of the family. They, they all know. They, they blew it. They all know. The thing that is positive is the fact that there's nobody in that locker room who's thinking that Lamar Jackson isn't their leader, isn't going to be the guy to take him to the Super Bowl, and is it behind him 100% similar to what was going on in the offseason, if you remember. When we all said, Lamar, get an agent, okay? They should make a deal for Lamar. They should get the pick. Yada, yada, yada. We all said it. John Harbaugh constantly, Lamar's our quarterback. I love Lamar's our guy. Remember, he posted the goodbye in the city of Baltimore. When John Harbaugh said he's our quarterback, I love We got a quarterback. He's going to be our quarterback. Love Lamar. Lamar works hard. Yada, yada, yada. He kept it all together to his credit. And it paid off. Signed the contract. Came in focused. New offensive coordinator. Slowly but surely, they got their legs under him. They blew people out of the building. Best team in the league. Road goes through Baltimore. And then it all falls apart. The most inexplicable part is the game plan. The lack of the attempt to at least run the ball, which they're so good at in Kansas City, is below average at stopping. They never made any type of solid attempt to do what they do best. The design was something I simply cannot explain. The play calling, uh, the lack of any rhythm, the failure to involve the running backs in the passing game. I thought we might see a little Delvin Cook for a little change of pace. We never saw him. We didn't see the throws underneath to the tight ends. It was like watching a team with a game plan that you haven't seen all year. Well, I shouldn't say it was like it was. This is not a game plan I saw them use all year long. And it was uh, incredibly disappointing. Incredibly disappointing. Because they had the best team. But when you don't play the best, and a team that may not be quite as good as you plays really, really well, which the Chiefs did with no mistakes. They had some penalties. There's two holding penalties at the end of the first half cost them four points. But uh, they were the better team. It hurts to say it. It really does. Because I thought this was the game for the Super Bowl. But I think it still is. And uh, my team didn't get it done. Simple as that. You hit the nail right on the head for the lack of running aspect of the game. And I don't know if maybe I didn't feel it 
during the game, but certainly after once people started putting the tea leaves together on what happened where they're going through the running backs and six carries total and how few yards there was. And you're like, yeah, they didn't run it. You're right. And Lamar maybe didn't run it as much as he should. And I don't know if it's, as you're saying, like an F you maybe from the OC to say like, well, you think Lamar is just a runner. We're going to show you on the highest stage of the season at home, what he can do in the pocket, how well he could do as a passer. Suck on this. Which he can certainly pass. We don't have to discuss that. We know he can. Now, obviously, people will point to the interception in the end zone. Of course, that wasn't a great decision. I think some of it might have had to do with a wide receiver throwing his hand up, maybe not realizing he's about to run into triple coverage, and that's the last thing he saw. Like, oh, this dude's going to be open. I got you. Oh, the whole team is down in the end zone waiting for this. My fault. You know, he sees the replay on the sideline. You can see his his reaction to it. Like, threw his hands up in disbelief. I can't believe that happened. The Zay Flowers thing is just a freak thing that happens in these games where when you need all the bounces to go your way and that one doesn't, now what? Like, you can't afford those things to happen in in postseason games. And, of course, people scream and cry about, well, don't reach the ball. I understand. But in that moment... You're not thinking, like, this dude is going to be running full speed at me when I'm one of the fastest guys on the field to begin with. I just got that penalty against me. Let me make up for it now. I'm about to score. Let's go. And you get the ironic thing is she already had on the prior play, play before, they had already regained the lost yardage on the unsportsmanlike another short pass in which he ran for another first down. So, and I thought he was going, you know, look, look it, it, you're, you're too young to remember, but I'm sure you've seen the highlights. It absolutely positively brought back memories of, of, of the earnest fire fumble going across the goal line against them in the 87 championship game. That would have tied it. Um, when I thought Biden, when everybody thought Biden was in. And it was the same thing. I thought he was in. Even when they, I was like, oh, no, we crossed it. I was like, he, he, he brought the play to that ball. And then you see the replay, and it's like, he's not even close. Not even close. Yeah, go, go, just stand tall and drive through him. Get down at the one. If you just want to get down at the one, it's first to at the one. Because he had the first down. Since I, he, was, he, he would have been just inside the, because they had to go about the one, one and a half. Right. To get the first down. He would have had the first down, I believe. Uh, but, you know, try and stretch it over, make the play, understand the effort. It's always there. He's going to be a terrific player, but it was it, it, it was a it's seventeen fourteen with a quarter to go. I mean, that's all you got to say. It just sucks the life out of you as a team and as a fan base when stuff like that unfortunately happens. And you talked about it on the other side. Death taxes and Travis Kelsey just being wide open all the time. Somebody put a hand up. All we talked about this year, well, not me, but pundits. He's lost his step. He's not the same Travis Kelsey. Can't get into the end zone anymore. He maybe should retire like his brother. And postseason rolls around. He doesn't look a day over his vintage self. And I heard them talk about it, especially against Zones. I heard the guys in Zones' team talking about it. He, he, 
he doesn't even run routes. He just goes down and, and finds an open area. It's like they just look at each other in the huddle and go, I'll be down there. <laughs> you know? And they just know. They know where to find each other. It's crazy. The play, the play in the second quarter on third down where he was scrambling around for 10 seconds and then got hammered low and just kind of that, – that's the ball that's supposed to get intercepted. All right? He gets he – get, Mahomes gets pounded at the end of the play and just kind of pops it up. You're just, I'm just waiting for my guy. That's the guy. That's our ball. The guy comes in and picks it off. But no, out of nowhere, there's Kelsey diving headlong to make the catch to convert yet another third down. That leads to the second touchdown to make it 14-7. It was, even when it wasn't a beautifully designed play and a great throw, Kelsey, it, it, was, it was that. And it was surgical in the first half. Mahomes were brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. Uh, and to Andy Reid's credit, the play design was terrific. He outcoached McDonald in the first half. Or the coordinator, you know, whoever was in charge. I always think Andy Reid's in charge when it comes to the offense, regardless of who the coordinator is. And it was Matt Nagy. Uh, you know, it had been, obviously, the supposed new head coach in Washington. I don't think so. <laughs> Um, it, it was incredibly difficult to swallow for a very proud defense but then in the second half they tightened it up and they changed their coverages on Kelsey they stopped with the zone and it's on the last drive uh, when he tossed it up and uh, Scanlon beat Arthur Millette on the conversion the, the defense was spotless but uh, I mean, just the swing of you think, here we go again. When the game starts out with Kansas City getting the ball and moving it down the field, Kelsey scores the touchdown, and you blink and it's 7-0, and you think, here we go. Here come the Chiefs, the playoff Chiefs. What are we going to do to stop them? And then Baltimore answers right away, and you think, okay. Obviously, they're going to have a couple interesting things drawn up on their first drive. First couple drives, but now we're tied. Here we go. Second quarter John, comes. John, they get John the lead Harbaugh. again. John Harbaugh going for a fourth and one in his own 34 in the first quarter. That's the type of game it's going to be. On the second possession. You're thinking right away. And, and look, I, I, I was okay going for it. I, 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 want to give, I didn't want to give the ball back at 7 No. I know it sounds crazy, but I didn't want to give the ball back at 7 So I was actually okay. I mean, you know, it's the kind of, it's the Brandon Stanley decision that we think is nuts, but actually there, I, I thought it was the right decision. And the odd thing about that play, before we move on to, to Detroit um, in San Francisco, is that remember we talked about how, you know, Lamar runs, but not like he used to. That was a perfect example. Young Lamar, the rookie Lamar, on the fourth and one where he broke free, he's gone. You're, you're not catching him. Lamar, the Heisman Trophy winner a year earlier, you know, in, in, in his rookie year, for the Ravens, he's gone. 
He's gone. In his MVP year, he's gone. You're not catching him. But you can see he's slowing down. You know, he, he gets downfield. He looks back to see, you know, this guy got the angle on me. You know, what can I do here? And it winds up being, you know, a 25-yard run instead of uh, a 65-yard run. So you can see already it's wearing on him physically that even though he's still a game-breaker and incredibly difficult to deal with coming out in, the, in and outside the pocket, he doesn't have you know, the speed that he used to have um, you know, for 70-yard runs, maybe a 20-yard scamper. Uh, he's more elusive than he is, I think, uh, mercurial anymore in terms of speed. So that's going to continue... I think in him spending more time in the pocket uh, and you know running only when he has to uh, to extend plays to make throws, you know more like Mahomes. But there were times on Sunday where he clearly should have tucked it on under and ran. Like I said, even if it was to get seven eight yards versus an incompletion or a sack. Uh, or, or more. But he just didn't do it. And it was, uh, like I said, it was, it was, I didn't get a lot of sleep. Uh, in fact, I got about an hour of sleep on Sunday night. But as I said to uh, Adam Schein, uh, if I was a Detroit Lions man, I'd have to sleep again. Don't know what I'd sleep again. We talked about Dan Campbell. We talked about the good crazy Dan Campbell and the bad crazy Dan Campbell. I'll um, I'll, I'll, I'll let you bless the folks with your opinion on those uh, those coaching decisions by Coach Campbell. I mean. It's almost you may, have liked, you, you may have liked them for all I know. We haven't talked about it yet. Well, it's it's almost Christmas morning again for Lions fans with how this game started, similar to if you're a Chiefs fan, how that game started, where it's fourteen nothing in the blink of an eye and you're going into the second quarter with a lead against that San Francisco 49ers team. You're going in a half up twenty four to seven after you decide to kick a field goal and go up. The end of the first half, you kick a field goal and go up three possessions. Who knew? And you're and you and you're ramming the ball down their throat. You're running in between the tackles of Montgomery. You're running to the outside with Gibbs. It's everything is clicking. The medium range passing game is clicking. Throws to the backs, the big tight end, St. Brown over the middle. It's Everything that you are queuing up is shredding the alleged granite Niner defense. Their pass rush is non-existent. The ball's coming out quick. Goff missed a couple throws. He missed one that could have been a touchdown that resulted in the field goal. But it's 24-7. And we all thought he was going even they were waiting. They thought he was going to go for it. And then you saw him put the arms up. You saw him put the arms up. 
So discretion's the better part of that. Get me the three score lead. Also, why is it important? Because you don't give them any momentum. The three is good. It's not great. The seven would be better. But why take the risk when I've got the three and I'm going up the third score of letting them, they're getting the ball set the second half, of letting them go in with momentum by stopping us. Take the three. Right. And you're thinking, attaboy, Dan. Attaboy, Dan. There you go. Now you understand what happened with the dealers in the playoffs. All right. Now you understand that you can't coach always the same way in the postseason as during the regular season. Now you understand you got to take into account time, place, situation. Niners come down the field, a tremendous boost. Right? When you get the stop, you hold them to three. 24-10. You're thinking, you know, it could have been 24-14, they get all the momentum going, beautiful, got the ball back, let's go. And then he, he rears his ugly head. And then it happened. And <laughs> then it happened. Just when you thought, just when you thought at the end of the first half, you were safe. Well, and they're not seeing this, obviously, but we are at home. The usual statistics start coming up on the screen for what has happened to Kyle Shanahan-led teams in these types of situations. 17 points down and a second half to go. Game's over. He doesn't come back from this. They don't win these games when he's the head coach of teams like this. All you got to do is seize a little bit of momentum, and there's just not going to be enough time. And the way you're running the football, there's not going to be enough time. Well, and then we have the, the analytics. It's 50-50. It's 50-50. You know, it's close either way. Because folks, what happens is it's fourth and three. Uh, on third and five, he runs the ball. They run the ball surprisingly not to Montgomery, but to St. Brown. They're a wonderful wide receiver. It's fourth and Two slash three, closer to three, I would say. And I'm like, I understand you don't have Justin Tucker, but this kid, you know, 47, 48 field goal, you got to make sure, perfect chance for him to go out there and, and boot one so you know what you got. But the point is, three scores, three scores, three scores, three scores, and a push. Get the momentum right back. Yep. You've staved them off. You've repelled their first attack. You've matched them. I understand it's not guaranteed that he's going to make the field goal. It's also not guaranteed that you're going to make the fourth down. Well, Dan Olowski says it's the right call. They made it 20 out of 24 times. Dan, it doesn't matter how many times they made it or didn't make And it doesn't matter what the analytics are 50 50. Perfect throw, and Josh Rosen drops the ball. You still got to execute the plays. Well, if he catches it, I understand. And you know, if you can't, if you make the you got a, you got a chance to go up another another time. Not just three scores, but you got a chance to go up 31 10. Three four scores. Yeah, but you also got to, if you get the first down, finish the drive, not hold, not get sacked, not have a turnover for the rest of that drive. The field goal's right there now. 
And here's, as we've discussed before, the analytics specialist from ESPN goes on with, with Adam Shine and tells him, you know, that it's pretty even. Basically, you know, it gives you the opportunity to go and score the additional touchdown, yada, yada, yada. But here's what they never, ever, ever tell you. When you look at the board, if you like an occasional play, when I look at the score on our phone, on our computer, what does it always tell us at the bottom? It tells us during the game, score, and at that point, at that time, at that place, it tells us what the leading team's winning percentage is right then and in, in current time. So what I want the analytics specialists to tell me. If it's 27-10 after the field goal, what are the chances Detroit's going to win the game? Versus missing the fourth down, what are the chances you're going to win the game? When it's 24-10 versus 27-10. You can't tell me it's not at least a good chunk higher at 27-10 versus 24-10. They never tell you that. What does the percentage of victory do if we're successful versus if we fail? That's what matters. Not what the percentage of making it. What does it do to me in terms of my chance to win versus my chance to lose? And nobody's giving me that number, but you can't tell me it's not considerably higher at 27-10 versus 24-10. And then we can look at after the fact and say, you know, which is just, and that's just being, you know, 20-20 hindsight, but obviously it's clear if he makes the field goal, it, you know, the playoffs, the face next never happens. Because, you know, you're kicking off, they get the kickoff, and then maybe they return for a touchdown, who knows? But it, the, the, the bomb off the face mask in all probability never happens because it's a different time, a different place, a different situation. 27-10, probably your own 25-yard line. Maybe not, but you know, you're probably not running that play. Maybe you are, but what are the chances the same exact thing happens? Probably zero. Or as close to zero as you can get. What did he do? He took the snowball at the top of the mountain during the storm and he pushed it down the hill. And you could tell everybody what happened after that. Let's first go through whether or not Michael Bagley is the worst field goal kicker in the National Football League. Now, we remember he came into Detroit toward the end of the season. His first start was December 16th against my Denver Broncos. To no surprise, the Lions won that game 42-17. The stats on him for this season for field goals, both postseason and regular season, which would be seven games, dude hasn't missed. Hasn't missed a field goal. Now, he doesn't have a huge resume of field goals, in the postseason, he's two for two from 20 to 29. And he's one for one from 50 plus at a 54 yarder against the Rams when they won 24 23. Kind of an important kick in that game. Yeah, you think? 
Hasn't missed an extra point. 11 for 11 in the postseason. Regular season, he missed two. But no field goals. Three for three from 30 to 39. One for one from 40 to 49. In his career, maybe this is an outlier. He's an 86.7% extra point kicker of for this season and 100% field goal for this season, as mentioned. When it just comes down to his actual kick since he got in the league in 2018, he's more than fine. His career field goal percentage is 82%. He had a struggling year. I think his second year in the league didn't do very well. Had a couple of misses. That skews the the misses for him with the Chargers. At that point in the game, with what he's done for you till then, hasn't shown you that he can't kick. What are you doing? Send him out there to go up three scores. Now, if he misses this kick, adding to another potential reason why you would go for the fourth down later in the game, I can understand you maybe being a little spooked. Well, he missed one earlier. Let's maybe go for it now. But you don't even give that dude a chance. I understand these aren't gimmies. 40-something yard field goals aren't gimmies in the postseason. No question about it, especially when you're on the road. But sometimes you just have to, I guess, ignore your gut. Because we know Dan Campbell, for a lot of these what the analytics will tell you decisions. Sometimes he's just doing it based on what he feels. The binder is telling him no. And he's just saying, I want to do it anyway. I think there are a couple people saying on Twitter, he wants to see you, like to quote Mad Dog Russo, pee down your leg a little bit when he's sending the offense back on the field on a fourth and short when you don't expect him to do so. The kicking unit should be coming out here. He should be punting the football right now. They're going for it. Oh, no. I think he got a little bit too much in his head for that specific situation. And the safer and smarter bet is to kick the field goal. And there was a lot of arguments on Twitter and on TV. This is who he is. This is Dan Campbell. Why go against who you are? Here's how he is as a coach. He's doing exactly what he's done all season. Players love him. Players love in, in the post game. They ask the quarterback. You know, they ask off at the podium. You know, Do you want to be the so, so, Of course, of course, you want, you're a player. Players always want to go for it. The coach's job is to make the best decision for his team to put them in the best possible chance to win the game. If it was the right choice at the end of the first half, how is it not the right choice now when you're eight, seven, eight minutes further into the game and you've just staved off their momentum and have a chance to get those points back? Three is bigger than seven there. Three in your back pocket is better than the if it's fourth and a, and, a, and a foot, I'll go for it. Fourth and a foot, I'll go for it. I'll take that risk. Here's what Dan Campbell is. Good guy. Fun guy. Great motivator. Obviously good coach. Dan Campbell is the challenger 
who's sitting at a stool at the end of the 10th round with his corner telling him, kid, you got this thing in the bag. You're up eight rounds to two. Just keep doing what you're doing. Be careful, but just keep doing what you're doing. And he goes out, and he's swinging blindly, looking for a knockout, swinging from his heels, leaving himself open, because the decision's not good enough. got to knock him out. He's a guy on your team that you hate when that tying run is at third base with nobody out at the bottom of the ninth, and that run's got to score. Or you're a loser in the postseason. Your season's over. And what's that guy doing? Regardless of whether he's a power hit or not, you just need the ball in play. He's up there swinging from his heels. Swinging at anything, swinging at anything that's round and moving. And the next thing you know, good morning, good afternoon, good night, that runs still at third base. Every once in a while, you have to pull back the covers. You have to pull back the reins and realize time, place, scenario. The way I do it in the regular season isn't always the way I can do it in the postseason because in the postseason, I understand you're a gambler. I understand you're ready to go for it. You have no safety net in the postseason. Zero. What are the chances I have to win the game if I kick the field goal? What are the chances I have to lose the game if coincide if I don't make the fourth down or I miss the field goal. But the point is, there's a great chance to make the field goal. And even if I make the first down, what are the chances I'm going to score a touchdown? Maybe I burn a couple more minutes, but I'm giving up the opportunity that is right there to be right where I was at halftime and it's eight minutes later and I get the momentum back. Not good enough for Dan. Not good enough for Dan. You must be the Vermont Gamble. You must have the swagger. You can't do the solid smart thing. You have to do the reckless thing. He was reckless with his team's opportunity to recapture the moment. He didn't. And he cost his team the entire momentum that they had built up. Everything swung there. Everything swung. The gods swung. Is that a skill to overthrow your receiver? Have it bounce off the safety's face? Great job by your catches. But you know that's not the way they drew it out. Touchdown. Fumble. Touchdown. What happened? What just happened? Does anybody see if Dan's awake? Still standing? What did we say on the show? Months ago? The crazy, the good crazy, and you got the bad crazy. Yeah. Dan's both. The bad crazy, rid his ugly head at the worst conceivable time. And then to insult to injury, of course, behind by three, in the similar situation, with seven and change to go, 
you choose the field goal again and goes for it. So it's like it's all back down the field game over. Damn, it's 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 against the right This is thinking, you know, what if if I get stopped, they could go down and kick a field goal, go up by six, but I'm still, you know, within a touchdown. Yeah, but damn they want that field score touchdown. They went on the field kick field goal. They went down the field and kicked they went down the field and scored. And that's the last thing you needed to happen. And you created that opportunity again. Dan Campbell did his team, not his guys, not his trusted legions that will run through a brick wall for him, that adore him. He did those guys a disservice because he didn't look out for their best interest. He did exactly the worst thing. He put them in a position to lose versus the best position to win. He created it with those that the first one for sure and capped it off with the second one. What's funny is I I and wouldn't I have hated the second one as much. I still would not be sleeping. No. Absolutely not. I wouldn't have hated the second decision as much. Like if you had just put that on paper where they were in the game, you're down three to the San Francisco 49ers on the road with that offense. You have no idea if you're going to get the ball back with a chance to tie it or get within a position. Like, what's going to happen the next time they get the ball? I get it. But it was like a gambler that was chasing. It was like a gambler on Saturday night after you lost all the afternoon and evening slates of college football and you're hopeful that Pac-12 after dark or the Hawaii game is going to pull you back. Like, we, we knew what happened before that moment, Dan. That's the problem. We know where the game was and where you could have been. You going for it now just feels like you're grasping at straws, trying to get that momentum back that you lost. That's the unfortunate part of that moment. And you don't get it again, and that's it. Game over. San Francisco survives. A lot of people thought they were the better team in general on paper. But that's another game where it was theirs for Detroit's taking. And after the hardships they faced for their entire fandoms, to go down like that when you had the game several times in hand, I don't know how you do it. And they committed, you know, in the second half, they committed numerous mistakes. You know, Reynolds had the second drop you know, on third down, which would have been a big gain. Um, you know, the, the, the kid from Alabama dropped a touchdown pass. Um, Goff had a couple missed throws. Obviously, the fumble was huge. But nothing will ever convince me that he didn't create. He wasn't part of the solution. He created the problem. We will break down the Super Bowl next we speak. But I want to ask putting a bow on your Ravens. We talk about this all the time on the show. What teams should do when it comes to the old adage of let's run it back. You mentioned it already that players are going to be gone. There's decisions to be made. Lamar Jackson's the guy, which is a good thing to have and not have to worry about that. 
but coaching changes were made and now need to be filled. What do the Ravens need to do or hope to do to get back here next we speak next January 2025? Well, I, I think, obviously, as you said, they had the quarterback. They had their top wide receiver. I don't think you'll see Odell Beckham Jr. back. Uh, they'll have both tight ends, all three tight ends, you know, a healthy Mark Andrews, uh, a rising Isaiah Likely, and, and Charlie Kohler, the big, uh, who came in at the same time, that likely did. Uh, so they have three tight ends. They're set there. Both running backs are free agents. Um, in Gustavus Edwards and Justice Hill. I think they'll probably bring at least one of them back Nelson Aguilar is a free agent. I would be surprised if he's back. Bateman, who they are waiting, the first round draft pick, as you know, from your conference, Iowa State, who I loved, who has been a disappointment, finally got healthy. Uh, he's on his rookie contract. He'll be back. I think they'll look to add a wide receiver, either free agency if possible, um, the name I see mentioned early, is uh, the wonderful wide receiver from the Colts, uh, who I believe, I think he's unrestricted. You would have to check it. Um, he is terrific. And I'm not sure if he's restricted or unrestricted. Maybe you could look it up. Uh they can always look to the draft, whether it's the first, second round, they've got all their picks. Kevin Seidler, who is made all pro, is a free agent. He's already said he wants to come back and wants to get it done quickly. So I think they'll bring him back. But they'll look to, then they've got some young guys in depth on the offensive line. I think they'll look to add in the draft, maybe free agency. And the defensive side of the ball is, is, is huge. Justin Medebique is a free agent. I think that they will franchise him if they can't come to a long-term agreement. I don't think Patrick Queen will be back, who made all pro this year. They didn't extend him, as I said earlier, when the season started. They only have so much money to work with. He's got a big deal coming somewhere. If you remember, they somehow, some way, had Trent Simpson fall to them in the third round. The rookie linebacker out of Clemson, who a lot of people had as a first rounder. Zach Orr is the linebacker's coach who has now been named to succeed Mike McDonald's the defensive coordinator. I think he played a big role in the success of those linebackers. You know, they have Rokon Smith, obviously, who was making a fortune and, you know, all pro. I think they will probably slide Simpson into. Queen spot, I think he'll probably go. He'd seem to love to keep him. And then they've got a couple of guys, Geno Stones in the secondary. You know, he's, I think he's gone. Uh, so they'll probably look to add either free agency or clearing the draft uh, a safety or cornerback. They'll probably lose Van Dorn and Clowney, who are both you know in their early 30s and free agents on one-year deals. Maybe one of them comes back. Clowney, I think, would be the more likely. Uh, but they have some youth uh, on the team at defensive end and linebacker. And 
I, I think they'll draft there as well. I, I think they'll look to add a wide receiver. I think they'll probably look to add uh, a pass rusher and somebody in the secondary. And those would be the three most likely positions. You know, certain cornerback. You can never get enough of those. And Humphrey's getting up in years. Stevens had a terrific year. I think they'll add another one. But I think they're going to be fine. The hardest part about the Ravens is they're in the best division in football. Since he's coming back, Burrow's going to be healthy. Uh, and they'll be looking you know, to fight back into the playoff scenario. The Browns are just a good question mark. I mean, this year they go and they went with Slacko. He won't be back. Their gazillion dollar quarterback will be. Is he ever going to stay healthy? Is he ever going to be the guy who wasn't used to? Who knows? Their top rated defense got shredded in Houston by the rookie quarterback. And then you have the Steelers. Sneak their way in the playoffs. Don't know what the quarterback situation is going to be. Are they going to go with one of those two guys, Mason Rudolph? Or, uh, you know, their first round pick, uh, Kenny Pickens, out of pit? Or are they going to look to trade for Justin Fields? Are they going to look to sign Kirk Cousins? Are they just a quarterback away from being really good? You know, they made the playoffs without a really good quarterback. So, the division is, and they're going to play a first place schedule. So, it's going to be you know, tough road to hope for Baltimore, but they got the quarterback, they got the coach, um, they'll have to replace, uh, obviously, the secondary coach who left. They'll have to replace four who moved up from linebackers going to defensive uh, coordinator. They'll get all that done internally, and I have confidence in. I have as much confidence Eric the cost as any general manager in the sport to manage the cap. Uh, and the cap is so complicated in terms of how you can add voided years, do extensions, etc. That dead cap money, and I, I couldn't figure it out in a week. I don't think. And you have to do everything you can. If feasible, to obviously get your cap number down uh, to allow you to spend in free agency and bring back as many free agents as you can and want to or franchise. Um, and they do magical things. So we just still haven't figured out in terms of the dead cap money, whether you have a guy or don't have a guy, and the voided years. You know, we do contracts. You know, they could extend. They could redo Ronnie Stanley and Marlon Humphrey's contract, both who make a fortune, to create more cap space. So there's a lot that can be done. Long answer to your short question. I, I think they will be fine and they will run as much of it back as they can. Keep in mind from the running back perspective, DK Dobbins' contract is up. What's he going to do? And they are going to at some point get keep Mitchell back, who they lost to the uh, to the ACL about two thirds of the way through half, about two thirds of the way through the season. Um, so they'll be fine. You know, there, there is turnover, as you know, in the National Football League. Because uh, he's had it. Uh, you got to deal with it. You got, when you got a hard cap, that's something you have to deal with. And I can't think of anybody better than Eric DaCosta. They have the, you know, the two most important things. They got the coach, they got the quarterback. And um, it's just, you know, it, it, it's hard to get this close. And um, 
the road will not be as easy next year, no matter what, because the conference is going to be better. Jim Harbaugh is important. Chargers are going to be better. Absolutely positively. You know they're going to be better. Kansas City's not going anywhere. Just talked about our division. South. Houston's coming. Uh, Jacksonville. I don't know what to think. Uh, he's going to have to be better. Plain and simple. going to have to be better. The East. Those aren't going anywhere. Find those quarterbacks in football. Miami, pretty good. Loses every big game they play. Can't beat anybody good. New England, stinks. Jets, question mark. So, it will be difficult. Regardless of how successful they are next year, it won't be this year. They won't. You, you, you don't have years back-to-back where you just run roughshod over the league. All the teams in the history of the NFL who did what the Ravens did this year in terms of margin of victory won the Super Bowl. Actually, went to the Super Bowl. They were the first one that did. Handful of teams. Um, 72 Dolphins, undefeated Patriots. You know, both undefeated regular season teams both went to the Super Bowl regular season. So, um, tell me the group. They're already working on it. As fans, we take it, I don't want to say harder than the players. We think we do. Because we have no control. And I think what everybody talks about, you know, we fall into this trap of, excuse me, we think we care more than they do. And I think sometimes the reason we think we care more than they do is we don't understand what they know. They do have control to some degree. They have the opportunity to go back and get it done. They have the opportunity to fix it. We can't do a fucking thing. Except sit and wait. And scream. Somebody cover Kelsey. Jesus Christ. All we can do is sit, hope, and wait. They can go back to work. Yep. Put their nose to the grindstone and get better. We're never going to get better. We're just going to be whack jobs, rooting our hearts out for our teams, and losing sleep if you're a goof like me. When you lose. But the notion that they don't care as much, of course they care. Of course they care. But again, they have the. It's the same way when we say, how can that guy go back on the mound after what he just got shown? How can that guy. Go back out there to the plate after you struck out three times in your home run. How can that guy go out there and kick the next field goal with the game on the line the next week after he missed one the week before? Because that's what they do. They're special. They have the ability to do that when all the pressure is on them and everybody's watching. And it means so much to their teammates, the organization, the fans, everyone. They have the ability to do that, one, physically, but two, mentally, when we would wilt, when we would shrivel. Because we can't even figure out how they do it, because we don't know how they do it. Because we can't do it. We can't do it physically. We wish we could. 
We wish we could be in the situation to have to worry about the mental aspect of it. But we're not good enough physically. They just play. What they do comes natural to them. It does it to us. You can do it in high school, you can do it in college, if you're lucky enough, if you're good enough. These guys are not just physically gifted, they are so mentally tough. That's how they keep going out there. So they have the opportunity to improve. They have the opportunity to go back and get back and get further and put forth the effort to improve physically, mentally, preparation-wise, whatever they think is necessary to overcome the shortfalls. We are helpless. We are stranded. We are on the island waiting for them to save us. We're Tom Hanks waiting to be rescued. If we're lucky, we can make a fire. We can't win a championship. All we can do is hope that they can go back to work. In the meantime, they go back to work and they know they can go back to work. And that's the things that as fans, we can never fathom. We can never figure it out. We just think we care more than they do. Some fans will tell you, though, they're back to work already. Those losses might have hurt last week. On to the mock draft boards. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. <laughs> That's exactly what I did this week. <laughs> uh, still in recovery mode, but getting there. Folks, I'm trying to do a great job time in line. I am Alvinado, a.k.a. Alpha my plans. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at SportsRadioAmerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.